Before we come to God's word, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence with us. And now, Lord, as we come to your holy word, I pray that you will speak by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will have your way, that you will challenge us, that you will help us to walk closely with you. Speak, we pray, in Jesus' name we ask it, for his glory alone. Amen. Amen. I want to, if you want to take your Bible, you can certainly do so. I just want to lift out one verse this morning, and it's found in Isaiah chapter 53. We've already been, been there this morning. And our text really will be the first half of verse 3. And this morning I want us to consider Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows. Isaiah, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, some 700 years before his birth, says these words in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Let us be reminded again that Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully man. The Word of God is clear that he was born of a woman, that he was wrapped in cloths, that he was laid in a manger, that he needed to be nursed by his mother like any other child. He grew to adulthood like any other human being. And as a man, we know by reading the gospel accounts of his life, that he ate and drank, that he hungered and thirsted, that he rejoiced and felt sorrow. His physical body was normal. He was not a ghost. He could be touched. He could be handled. He could be cut. He could be made to bleed. A man of flesh and bone, like ourselves, needing sleep and food. Jesus is someone who can feel pain as a man, and in the end, he gave up his life to death, even death on a cross. Notice this morning what the prophet tells us, Jesus, the man of sorrows. Not the God of sorrows, but the man of sorrows. And here, Isaiah wants uh, the Jews, wants us to, to understand his absolute humanity. That he, Jesus Christ, is fully human, with one key difference, of course, that he was never defiled by sin. Never disobeyed God, his Father. He lived a perfect life for us on our behalf, a perfect life of obedience, something that we could never do in our sinful, rebellious state. Jesus Christ, a real man, the Son of Man, the second Adam, the first of a new kind of humanity, a humanity that honors and obeys God always. This will be our duty and our destiny, of course, 
in the life to come. John 6, 38, Jesus says, For I come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. So Isaiah is telling us here that the one who would come, the Messiah, would be a man. Jesus is a man, and he's called here the man of sorrows. Not a sorrowful man, but a man of sorrows, as if he were made up of sorrows. That sorrow is one of the elements of his very being. And of course, some men are men of pleasure, men of wealth, men of prestige, men of fame and power. But here, Jesus Christ is described as a man of sorrows. Those who saw him saw sorrow. He's called the man of sorrows, for this was his destiny, the special mark upon his life. The Savior, the God-man, would be marked by sorrow. Yes, he's a man of holiness, no sin, always about his father's business. Yes, he's a man of authority. No one taught or had the authority that he had. When he taught the word of God, often the people would say, no one has ever spoken with authority like this. And they were amazed. Yes, we may call him a man of love, for no one ever loved like Jesus Christ. No greater love have any man than he laid down his life for someone else. Philippians 2.8, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The character of our sweet Lord, so wonderful, so beautiful, so perfect, and yet he's also a man of sorrows. And of course, it's not something that we often think about when we think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps it's a little too negative for many in the church today. Too unsettling because in truth, we are not sorrowful enough. No, we want to think positive. We want to see the the miracle worker. We want to see his love for the broken and for the outcast, which is all true and wonderful. But oh, not today. Today, God says to all of us, I want you to consider the man of sorrows. And this is not to be understood as negative or unsettling, but rather as glorious and wonderful. Jesus is not only sorrowful, but compared to anyone else in human history, his sorrow was the heaviest of all. Yes, we all men, we all have our sorrows, we all have our burdens to bear. Search through the whole world, and there is sorrow in every person to some degree. There is stress, there's anxiety, there's fear, there's heartache, there's tears. Rich and poor alike doesn't matter. Suffering in all its forms and degrees is common to our existence. But no human being can match the sorrow that Jesus Christ endured. We all have to sip at sorrow's bowl, but Jesus Christ drinks it dry. 
He was the most obedient son, cut and broken and damaged under the wrath and rod of God. No one ever swept drops of blood in the same bitterness and anguish when he cried out on the cross in Mark chapter 15, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cry of a human being for, who for a time was robbed of that sweet fellowship with his father. The spiritual anguish and the pain no one has ever fathomed, nor will we ever be able to understand it. And so the reason for the superior sorrow of Jesus Christ is found in the fact that with his sorrow there was no sin. Sin which is disobedience to God in all of its forms. We do not stare at sin as Jesus did. We do not tremble at sin as he does or hate it as he does. Due to our sinful nature, we have lost much of its true awfulness. But for a man who is sinless, for a man with a perfect nature, for a man who knew no sin, he was particularly sensitive to that sin, to that sorrow that sin brings. Jesus being perfect, every sin pained him much more than it ever would any of us. And of course, we sin regularly every day in what we do and in what we don't do. A little white lie, no big deal. Proverbs twelve twenty two says, the Lord hates lying lips. Compared to the man of sorrows, our view of sin is way, way too low, too excusable, but not him. He hates what the Father hates. He loves what the Father loves. The man of sorrow, sensitive to every touch of sin, he could see sin where we cannot and feel its awfulness where we do not feel it. Therefore, there was much more on this earth, on this earth to grieve him. And so he was more capable of being grieved. And not only that, he had this gracious tenderness toward the sorrow of others. And if we could enter in and know all the, the grief of this congregation this morning, and perhaps those who may listen online, there are heartbreaks, there's pain, there's loss, there's disease, there's sorrow, that if we knew it all would fill our hearts with agony, could we bear it? We know of loved ones who, if they were to die today, would fall straight into hell. How awful. And yet these common things do not stare us. Like most of our world, we become gradually hardened to them. Things that break our hearts, that should break our hearts, don't. But not Jesus. Not the man of sorrows. He was moved to, to sympathy with people's grief and pain and struggles. In many ways, their sorrows were his sorrows, his love, his heart so perfect, so large, that it was inevitable that he should become a man of sorrows. 
The title here given to him to indicate the, the constant state of his afflictions. A man of sorrows as to his poverty. He had nowhere to lay his head. Often he slept outside under the trees that he created. Think about his work. The Messiah sent from God. And when he went down to his own town in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4, he was rejected for speaking the truth. The people in the synagogue furious with him. They drove him out to the top of a hill, of a cliff, with the wicked intention of throwing him over. People he had known, family, friends, they hated him. Surely that broke his heart. And as he ministered throughout the years, so did his sorrows. He preached, and men's hearts were hard, and they would not believe. We're told in in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, that he was grieved because of the hardness of people's hearts. He went about always doing good, doing those good works, and they would take up stones to, to stone him. And added to this, his sorrow was not just because men injured him or inquired and said awful things about him or rejected him or put him on a cross and laughed at him and spat on him. But added to that... He understood that their sin was destroying them. He understood that their sin was destroying them. See his eyes fill with tears as he looks down over Jerusalem, knowing the judgment of God upon them. Matthew 23, verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, I often have longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I often I wanted to bring you in to my embrace. I often I wanted to protect you, but you were not willing. Can you see the tears running down his face as he thinks about these things? And of course, toward the end, the man of sorrows, he suffered alone. Even though his disciples did not understand that he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, those final hours came and he was betrayed. He was arrested. His disciples left him to walk the glorious path of sacrifice alone. With grief, he had this intimate acquaintance. Yes, we've all felt grief. Yes, we've all felt sorrow. Yes, we will feel it in the future. None of us can escape it. But the man of sorrows felt it more intensely and deeply than any other human being who has ever lived and will ever live. Charles Spurgeon once said this about Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows, he said that he and grief were bosom friends. He and grief were bosom friends. 
Oh, let us dare not forget this morning. Let us remember always that this acquaintance with sorrow, with grief, it was a voluntary act by the Son of God for our sakes. He did it all. He suffered it all. He lived it all for you and I so that we could have our sins forgiven, so that we would dare reign with Him in His eternal kingdom and the life to come where sorrow and grief will no longer exist. And so I say this morning, what a Savior. What a God of grace the man of sorrows really is. And so here's the practical part. Do you love the man of sorrows? Do you love the man of sorrows? And no doubt all of you sitting here looking at me this morning are saying in your mind and in your hearts, yes, I love the man of sorrows. And perhaps it seems like a a strange question. I mean, we are Christians, we are churchgoers, we are here to to worship and praise and honor Jesus Christ. We, We gather as his family, and yet it is possible to honor God with your lips and your hearts be far from him. As the man of sorrow said in Matthew 15, verse 8, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And let me tell you, it's very easy just to say the words. It's very easy to come to church and go through all the emotions and all the emotions that we're so used to. And Jesus saw people in the synagogue worshiping God. And as he looked and examined their hearts, he saw that there was no love in their hearts at all. For many of them, it was just lip service. And no doubt, of course, that made him sad. That added to his sorrowfulness. And it's all too easy to go through the motions, to say the right things, to tick the religious boxes, and, it's, and so be far away in your love for him the one who loves you incredibly. And so I ask you again, do you love the man of sorrows? And if you said yes, then I say prove it. Not to me, not to God, because God knows the truth about you anyhow. Not to the elders, not to your family, not to your friends. But prove it to yourself. What does Paul say to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, 5? Examine yourself. In other words, Paul says, look at your life. You say you love Jesus Christ. How are you living? How are you thinking? What are you doing? How do you spend your time this week that has gone past, the month that has gone past? How has your life demonstrated that you belong to and love Jesus Christ? Apart from coming to church on a Sunday, what else is there in your life? Have you spent any time alone with him? Are you serving him in the church fellowship here? Or are you just someone who likes to come and and sit and spectate? 
Are you serving him faithfully with, with joy and love and gratitude? Or is your life causing him sorrow because you're too busy running here and running there? Too busy worshiping yourself and all the rubbish that's on social media that, that draws our attention away. More concerned for the fleeting things of this short life than you are in building the kingdom of God and seeking to live for and to obey his glorious word. What are you doing with your life? With the life that the man of sorrows has given to you? Will you be ashamed on that day when you see Jesus face to face? The man of sorrows, he still bears the marks on those hands, those nails, the marks on his feet, whose love for you, whose commitment to you, whose faithfulness to you never, ever fails. I wonder how many people here today may not even be genuinely saved. How many people are listening to this message online may not be genuinely saved, may be deceived, like those in Matthew chapter 7 who are doing all these things for God, and Jesus says, I do not know you. You're an evildoer. And so the challenge for you today is to go home Think to yourself. Get alone with God and examine yourself and ask yourself, do I love the man of sorrows? Is there any desire in your heart to please or serve him? Any concern in your life or in your thoughts for what he thinks about what you're doing and where you're heading and where you're going? And if there is no concern, then you are in serious, serious trouble. You need to repent of your sin. You need to cry to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and mercy before it's too late for you. You see, when you're genuinely saved by the Holy Spirit, your life can never be the same again. Not a perfect life, we still sin, but there's a love in your heart for Jesus Christ. And that love compels you and drives you and steers you through this life. And of course, in life, we all have agendas, don't we? We all have goals. We all have dreams. We all have ambitions to achieve stuff on this earth while we are here. And that's fair enough. But what about eternity? What about when you die and you stand before God to give an account of your life as we all will? What is he going to say to you? What is he going to say to me? And so our agenda for living should be simply this, to hear those words from his beautiful mouth, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I strive for. To hear that to fall at his feet, to worship him, to honor him, to hear those words from his lips. 
is surely the greatest achievement any of us will ever achieve on this earth. Regardless of your prestige or your bank balance or your job and all those things that we're prone to worship and become proud of. But let us not forget that you are who you are by the grace of God. And so the glory goes to him. The honor goes to him. This morning, the man of sorrows paid a great price to bring us to himself, to bring us back to God. So let us this morning seek to live for him. Let us seek afresh to put him first in our lives, to be concerned for what pleases him. Not ourselves, not our selfish needs, but him. May God help us to know and understand these things because let me tell you, he sees our hearts. He reads our minds. He sees everything we do. He knows all about us. Nothing is hidden from him. Everything is let out in the open before his holy sight. So don't bring him sorrow. Don't break his heart. Bring him joy. Let that be your goal child of God. Bring him pleasure by faithfully dedicating your life to do what he wants to do with you for his glory. As Jesus said in John 14, 15, you say you love me? Do you really? Then what will you do, he says? Keep my commands. You say you love God. You say you love the man of sorrows. And you've got to live your life by this book. You've got to read this book for yourself. Not just come on a Sunday to hear a nice sermon. But you need to have your own personal walk with Jesus Christ. You need to cultivate that in your life every single week. And through doing that, we demonstrate our love for Christ. And we do it not out of duty, which is certainly part of it. Yes, it takes discipline. Of course it does. But we do it because we love him. We do it because we want to spend time with him. We do it because we want to please him. We want to honor him. We want to live for him. Because this life is very short and soon we will be with him, which Paul says is far, far better. So let us think about these things. Let us think about eternity. Let us think about how we are living for the man of sorrows who gave his life for us. May we in turn seek to live for him in the days ahead. And all God's people say, can I hear an amen? Amen. Praise God. Let's pray. And then Joel and the team are going to come and close us out with a song. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the man of sorrows. That you came to live the life that we could never live. That you willingly came to, to die the death that we deserve. That you rose again. And because you live, 
we too will live and reign with you. But until that time comes, Lord, until you take us home, whether you come back to this earth or whether we die and our our spirits go to be with you, I pray that you will help us, each of us, to seek to live for you. And for those, Lord, perhaps whose eyes have been in other things, I pray that you will draw us back to yourself, that you will forgive us for our apathy and our laziness and our self-centeredness. Forgive us, Lord, for being caught up with all those temporary things. And I pray that you will draw us to yourself, that we will have a deeper, closer walk with you. That we will stand before you to hear those glorious words, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us, Lord, to live for you. Draw us closer to yourself. Increase our love. Increase our zeal. Increase our joy. And help us, we pray. And for those, Lord, who don't know you yet as, part your, as, as Lord and Savior, who don't know you, Lord, I pray that you will save and undertake. If there's anyone here this morning, Lord, who, who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that you will draw them to yourself. Not just here, Lord, but even as we think about our loved ones and our families and our friends and those who we'll spend time with over the summer months or wherever we go, I pray that you will save. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a God of mercy and a God of compassion and a God of tremendous, tremendous grace and patience. So help us to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray for his glory alone. Amen. Amen. Thank you.